What's up? What's up? What's up, y'all? You are definitely in the right place. You've tuned in to Gumbo Nights, and I am your host, Miss Candy. If by chance this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're a returning listener, what do I always say, y'all? Welcome back. Now, I know, I know, I know, y'all. I know it's been a few weeks since I've released a podcast. But here's what happened. I have been extremely busy at work juggling multiple projects that are huge, y'all. So I fell a little bit off schedule. But it's not an excuse. It is simply an explanation. But in order to make up for my time away, y'all, you are in for a very special treat because this episode is all about a conversation with a woman who is a powerhouse. She is smart. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's funny. She's motivating, creative, and talented. And someone that you want to know if you have not met her or heard of her already. She is funny and she likes to throw in some expletives every now and then, y'all. And if that bothers you, well, so what? Listen to it anyway. Trust me, you are definitely going to get something out of this very candid conversation. So right after this really short message, we are going to get all up in our conversation with Nikki Frias. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. I hope you all are ready. I have a very special guest with me today. We're having a conversation with Nikki Frias. Nikki is the creator of Girl Tell Me, and I discovered her on Instagram. Hey, Nikki. Hey, how you doing? Doing just fine. How is your day going? It's going well. No drama, a little bit of meditation, a little reading, so it's always good. Well, I'm glad you? I, I am having a fantastic day. I had a manicure and pedicure and feeling pretty good. It's hot as you know what outside. I don't know what the weather is like where you are. Yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. And we got cicadas too, so. Oh, you got the cicada. I've been seeing that on the news. Oh, that is disgusting. <laughs> you haven't had yeah, one land on you yet, have you? No, I, I have. I've had to fight them. I have to fight every time I go to my car. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Because I've been watching that on the news, and I'm like, thank God I'm not on the East Coast. Because I, I literally duck when there's birds outside flying around. So, I, yeah. I'm not the oh, one. You leave your house. That is crazy. Well, we talked about cicadas. But what we're really here to talk about is what I call a movement. I look at Girl Tell Me as a movement. But... Nikki, tell us all about Girl Tell Me, what it is, and then we'll jump into how you actually got to creating Girl Tell Me. Of course. Okay. Um, hey, everybody. So Girl Tell Me came about after I've been writing for about four to five years, and my biggest issue that I had was being published. Um, I had a lot of platforms that would say, oh, my gosh, like, you're great and all that, but what have you done? 
right? It's kind of your resume. And I'd always be like, well, I have a blog. And then people would kind of be like, "Mm, okay, but what else? So I started to notice I was pitching a lot of places and I was constantly saying like, you should let me write for your website. I can write this and I can write that. And even for free, a lot of places would be like, "Mm, no, thank you. I'm not, I'm not interested. So I kind of wanted to be the change that I seek. So I started to develop Girl Tell Me. It came from a blog that was called Girl Tell Me About It. Um, And then over time, I had people kind of say stuff like, oh, I really like to post something. And then it just kind of, you know, expanded into what it is today. Um, We are a platform that encourages and empowers female writers through comedy. So the comedy comes from me, but um, a lot of the empowerment and everything comes from everybody else. So we are... Now we are expanding. We have merchandise. We're doing courses. But um, she came about because I started to listen to what other people were saying um, in regards to the effects that I had on them as encouragement. Um, and I wanted to kind of do as much as I could. So we're about a year and some changes. We've had over like 120 writers. Um, and we're just kind of expanding. We're doing more now. We um, are starting to incorporate more writers in regards to sharing their stories through video, through um, writing courses, and just kind of building a community of like real women that can complain about all the same stuff. We can all have the same similar issues, but we can also kind of like bond and grow through that. Well, as a writer myself, you know, I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And I've sat in on one of your courses and it is really beneficial. And I, I tend to think of it as a movement, but it's actually, for me, it's bigger than the writing. I think any woman can come to your platform and actually get inspired and encouraged to do whatever it is that she wants to do. It's just that you happen to focus on writing. But that's my little Miss Handy two cents opinion. What led you to to wanting to do comedy? Like as a kid, were you always funny? How did you develop an interest in that? So I've always been that kid that was loud and singing and doing all those things. Um, and for me, I'm just more of a, I guess I've been told that I, I'm a great storyteller, which I kind of find to be my um, avenue of comedy. Um, I'm not like a, <laughs> but it, shh, I'm not one of those, <laughs> but naturally, like, you know, have fun and kind of be expressive, but also like make people feel good. Um, and so I always, it's always came to me kind of easy. So, I mean, it started when I was like a little kid and I was doing a Spice Girls contest and my mom, we didn't place, whatever. I was upset about it, but uh, my mom would always kind of do those things. And then over time it was, well, you know what, let me try stand up one day. So I did stand up for about a year um, and I don't, I don't hate it. It was just the world, the environment was a little bit harder than something that I wanted to do, especially the older you get. I'm not trying to be out all night. A bitch is tired. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, you know, I just kind of expanded it and tried to do as many things as I could to see what I enjoyed. Um, and the comedy really just slowly started to creep in with Girl Tell Me. Um, some of our content when I first started was really serious. And then more people would be like, oh my gosh, you're so funny. Da, 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 da. Like, you should put that in. So I just really started to listen to the recommendations of people being like, put this in. Show more of yourself. Um, And then I started to realize that the brand that I have is only going to expand because of me and not just kind of 
my content. I mean, everybody can have a writing page. Everybody can publish writers, but I want people to know when they come to Girl Tell Me, the environment, the vibe. And um, I only do that through what I represent. Now, what was it like doing stand-up for the first time? Oh, my gosh. It was it was stressful. It was so scary. My first open mic was actually in New York City. Um, I was at a place called the Grizzly Pear. I met this this guy. I used to um, like improv and sketch comedy with Bright Citizens Brigade, which is super popular um, in New York City. So I started to do that. And one time I was up there taking a course and I met a guy named PJ from Queens. So I'm just like... <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I was like, PJ, man, I know you do stand up. Like, I really want to do an open mic. I want to do a set. And he was like, I got you. Go here. I'm going to tell him, you know, tell him PJ brought you. So, you know, I shot my shot. I'm always kind of promoting that on my page. But I was like, you know what? What is the worst that could happen? So because of that, I went up there and I was so scared. I didn't think I had that many jokes. I was just like shaking. And I did it in front of a room of like 10 people. But I went on stage, I did my thing, and I remember I got off, and I had some girl say to me, like, this was your first open mic? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, wow, you're great. And I was like, oh, that's it. Right. Superstar. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of one of those things, like, just meeting a couple people that were very surprised about my confidence and my stage presence, um, that I didn't seem so amateur at it. Um, that was my first open mic. And then I did a lot more in D.C., and, um, I mean, I met some really great people. I still talk to them today. Uh, the lifestyle is definitely hard. So, you know, um, and, and, you know, I also too have to respect stand-up comedy takes a lot of work. I don't think a lot of people realize like people do their sets. They do the same sets. They memorize their jokes. And as much as I love stand-up comedy, I just did not have that angst to be so passionate about it because it sounds crazy, but I would literally get on stage and just start talking. And I would have some points of like things I wanted to talk about, but I would just let it rock. And I just knew that it was like, some people are gonna look at me and be like, okay, you are not the Jay-Z of comedy, bitch. You gotta write some shit down and do something. Um, and I just wasn't as dedicated. I'm, if I'm gonna be honest, it's a lot of work. And I was just like, you know, I'm really good with improv. I'm good just talking to people. So I kind of have been trying to figure out, and I think I'm getting extremely close to it, of like finding my comedy. Um, Cause I've done stand up. Like I said, I didn't necessarily like it. I'm thinking about getting up there just for once in a while, jumping out there, you know? But um, I did acting, it took too long. I did improv, that's a lot of stress as well. And while I did enjoy all these things, I was like, I'm still not feeling full from like spreading my mission and spreading like the, the way that I make people laugh. So I've just been kind of peeling back the layers on comedy to figure out where my sweet spot is. So and, that being yeah. said, so what do you think? I know you're still trying to discover that, but what do you think? How would you describe your style of comedy? It's raw. It's blunt. And it's not, um, it's relatable. Um, one thing I will tell you, like, I don't make fun of people. I don't, I don't do corny shit like that. I just like to laugh about the things that we all laugh about. I want to laugh about, you know, just everything relatable. Like the awkwardness that happens when you first meet a person or if you're at work, it's microwave fish and everybody's like, it smells like assholes. Like just <laughs> random stuff. 
But I think that, like, that's what brings us all together is the commonality of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be jokes about, you know, race or gender or politics or, like, these buzz things. Like, the things that make me laugh are the things that, like, when I lose my remote and then I find that bitch in a random basket that I thought, you know, like, I don't, I mean, that wasn't funny. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> there's just so much more comedy in the things that we have all in common versus the things that divide us. So my comedy is going to be raw and blunt and just goofy, you know, just like, just bringing a good vibe. It's just a good vibe. Well, I love it because I, I love to laugh. And there's so much, this stuff, heaviness going on, especially right now, you know, and people are uh, so uptight. So anytime you can find a moment to make yourself laugh, like you said, even over the, the stupid remote, anything to, to lighten the load, I'm all for it. But you also went through something that is actually common. You and I have this in common as well. We are both divorced. Yeah. And so if you don't mind, kind of talk about, you know, what led you to realizing that you wanted to get a divorce and maybe how comedy may have helped you to relieve some of that stress and all of the typical things that happen to us emotionally as a result of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but um, my marriage, it was out of convenience, if we're going to be honest. We met when I was 18. We got married when uh, we were 26. Um, it was just kind of like the thing to do. I think looking back now, I should have never gotten married because it was, like I said, a marriage out of convenience. And we also, too, didn't really know each other. I mean, it was kind of like, well, we've been, we looked at the years we were together as quality instead of understanding that we still looking back 10 years later, there were so many things I didn't know about him. Um, and there were so many things he didn't know about me. And especially to the time frame of 18 to 26 to hell I'm 32 now I'm a completely different person if we were together right now today we would not be together based off the fact that we are just such different people and what we want and who we are as people is just not compatible for each other and then real talk if we want to get all the tea he had a baby on me with someone else but girl we have another talk <laughs> but no he did but he stepped out of the marriage and that was something that was extremely crucial and vital to my own growth and my own development but it sounds crazy now i it was the best thing that's ever happened to me because it was so shocking and such a stop in the matrix a halt in the matrix that literally you know we all talk about how strong we are and how we can handle things but then when you have to you just come out so undefeated and such a different person that you know it, it it's one of those things that like if it didn't happen I, I just don't even know who I would be I, I just don't even know who I would be and um you know, it's, you know, they say make your, turn your L's, make your L's propel, or that's what I say. But it really was one of those things that kind of put me in the place that I needed to be in. And I think a life, furthermore, if that didn't happen, was going to mean, um, you know, just kind of a life of settling instead of creating a platform, making the difference that I want in my life. So aside from, I think the main reason was, compatibility most definitely and I think that compatibility led to infidelity and then I think the infidelity and the irresponsibility led to a decision that 
forced me to leave because when I was when we when I first thought about the affair I was like okay we'll make it work I never thought I'd be that person and they always say never say never you never know till you're there and I was in it and I was like okay well we've been together for so long we'll make it work and once the irresponsibility came into place and it turned into something deeper than that I was like shit I have to go I have to leave so I always say that the universe gives you hints along the way. Yes. And then if you keep on ignoring them, there'll be a point where she'll be like, okay, bitch, this is going to hurt, but it'll be better for you. And I think this was like the, okay, Nick, we've told you many times that this is not what you need and you don't want to listen. So we're going to have to do something to really show you that like, this is not what you want. Well, I, I, I really want to stand up and give you a standing ovation because I can identify with everything you're saying. And I actually have been divorced twice, but just like you, oh my gosh, I, I actually grew up and figured yeah. out what the heck is it that I'm, that I even want to do. I didn't even know myself, but I also want you to talk about you know, some of the feelings that you experienced. And then you really did a huge transition in your life after that. So kind of move us into that, what you did after your divorce, what your feelings were and how you evolved through that too. Um, yeah. So it was kind of an out of body experience because there were also other factors that kind of pushed me into a place where I had to be on my own. So um, how I found out, for instance, he wrote me a letter and then he left. He left for an entire week. Yeah. So I was sitting there just like, what am I going to do? Like my entire life changed in an evening. I mean, the same relationship I was with the same person for 10 years literally went to just me and a dog. Wow. Like that. So, um, you know, as a Capricorn, I always tell people I'm, a, I'm not a do nothing bitch. Um, and not even coming from a place of spite, but within that week, I cried for three days. Um, and don't get me wrong. There was a lot of crying along the way, mm -hmm. but in that week that he was gone, I packed up all my shit and I, I picked myself up. I moved in with my mom and I just started the process of like kind of detaching myself from our life. Um, and I think he was a little bit surprised because I told him, I keep, you know, you tell people who you are and they'll either believe you or not. And I would always tell him, I'm not a do nothing bitch. I've never been a do nothing bitch. So I think he was a little bit surprised when he got back and I was like, okay, sign these papers. Um, you need to get your own account. This is my account. You know, like kind of just going like knee deep into everything. Like, okay, you know, like we have to deal with this. And it was at that moment where I was like, you are, you, listen, girl, you are battled and bruised, but you are killing this. Yes. And learn that, at least for me, I'm one of those people where I'm like, let's get it over with. And I had to start taking pride in the process of like, this is going to hurt, but you will end up on top at the end of this. And you just have to kind of trust that it will happen. So it was definitely a transition. My emotions were raw. It was uncomfortable for me because you know, looking back now, I came from such a place of like privilege. Like my parents got a divorce when I was, um, shit, when I was like seven. And that was like the hardest thing I ever had to really deal with. Other than that, I was just kind of doing the motions of life. I just was kind of like, all right, I go to work, you know, I'm, I'm going to school or, you know, just kind of doing basic things. 
And I, you know, you see it all the time, but it's weird that you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. And then it does. And then you get to a point where you're like, shit, like this is what they mean when they're like, it's go time. This is, it's on you and you have to figure it out. So, um, you know, it stopped me completely. It stopped my thinking of, you know, the way things are. You know, my understanding of um, being able to rely on other people, but in a good way. I started to become more reliant on myself and having more faith in myself and courage and everything like that. So one of my favorite stories I always tell people, I'm working on a book, by the way. It's oh. not going to be all about, like, a funny self-help about getting through divorce. I love it. And um, one of my favorite stories that kind of guided me to my journey now is there was one of the last times I met with my ex-husband and we were talking. I went to the house that we used to share together. And it was like maybe a month before I was planning on moving to New York. So um, I was telling you this before, but um, at a certain point, I decided I wanted to move to New York. And it was maybe like a month before, a month and a half. And I remember we were talking outside and at a point in our conversation, he goes, so you're really going to do it, huh? You're going to move. And I said, I am. And he didn't know at the time. I was so scared. I mean, along this journey of deciding to move to a different city to do my own thing by myself, there were many days when I was like, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I, I can't. I just can't do it. I'm not strong enough. And he said to me, so you're really going to do it? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And... Um, we were talking about other things and then he got emotional and he started crying and, he, and we parted ways and he walked away. Wow. And I, in the car, I got in the car and my Pandora turned on. That was when Pandora was like hot at the time. Yeah. And first song that came on through my Bluetooth was Frank Sinatra's uh, New York, New York. Wow. If that ain't the law of attraction, look. And I literally stopped and I get goosebumps every time I tell that story because it was just like so powerful. Yeah. And I I remember just driving off and I turned it up and it's like so out of a movie. But it yes. happened and I was like, this is the universe. Like this is what I need to do. And it just kind of built my confidence and built me up to a place where I was like, I have to go and I have to do this for myself. You know that you're giving me chills right now because I I am a strong believer because I've had so many things happen in my life as a as a result of the law of attraction in the universe giving you these signs and cues and many of us don't pay attention to it but they're everywhere. Yeah. Right. And Oh yeah. And also I want to ask you what was your mindset like as it relates to relationships after your divorce? Did you have something in your head? I want to date. I want to get married again. Or did you even think about any of that at the time? At the time after him, um, you know, and I will be honest with you, I'm still working through some of the things because I didn't realize that damage was so hard. I mean, I went to therapy and I kind of processed the initial like jolt of what the hell happened. Um, and I was like, I'm fine. I'm good, you know. Um, but even till this day, because I am dating and I am meeting new people, I have kind of a chip on my shoulder. I have a fear because for me, it was something that I don't want to say I took for granted, but I just kind of like I just love very freely and very open. And after everything happened, 
Um, I just tell me this, but I've just noticed that like, I just have a fear and like trust of just like going back down that road. So I'm still working through it, but I also too was allotted the opportunity after my divorce to meet some very beautiful men in my life that have showed me different sides of love. Wow. Uh, for, you know, my husband, when I was married, our love was very like out of convenience. Um, we were just two people that were young and then we had young love and then we just kind of grew together for about 10 years, but we didn't really like have that. And then it was funny because the next guy I dated after that, all our relationship was, was emotional love. Wow. And it was such a transition because I, it was so much growth for me because I never had it where I could sit with a, a man and hold his hand and we're talking about things we disagree about. And it just really opened my eyes to like different aspects of love. So after everything happened, of course, it was very like heartbreaking, but then I started to have better moments with different people, different men, um, you know, and if we're gonna be better sex, better emotional love, better jokes, better food, like just better experiences with other men. So it kind of just showed me like, you're not done loving, um, I definitely want to love. I mean, I, I'm very open to love. Um, I'm dating, but because I've had that taste of emotional love, it's like you can't go back. Exactly. Exactly. But you, you can feel it too. You can feel the lack of education or the lack of emotional effort. And then from there, you're like, not the same thing. So I want to hear more about this emotional love because I think I know what you're talking about, but some of us don't. So what was that like? What are some of the things that you experienced so you that you knew this is another level of, of, of love? Yeah. So, I mean, emotional love is, you know, I think a lot of it's, it's really just slowing down the pace and kind of having that communication and being open, but having uncomfortable conversations or, you know, simple things. Like when I was married, to be honest with you, we didn't hang out. We didn't enjoy each other's company. It was out of, like I said, convenience. So it would be like, all right, you're gonna go here, chill with your people, I'm gonna go chill with mine. And emotional love was like, I don't wanna leave the house because I'm bunned up with you. And we, you know, rubbing feet, watching TV, having jokes, having conversations, just, a level of like partnership where you're like, I always used to joke because I would be like, I would tell my girlfriends when we go out when I was married, like, oh, I gotta go home and have sex with my husband. <laughs> and they would be like, is it really that bad? And I was like, it's not bad. It's just that I didn't enjoy it. And then when I got into emotional love, my friends were like, bitch, where are you? Are you alive? Because I didn't want to leave the house. I'm like, no, I, I want to, I can't wait to leave to get home to my man. And it was kind of, the love that has patience and is open and communicative and, you know, wants to, it's more of a, a promotion of individuality instead of trying to find ways that we can be, you know, completely dependent on each other. Yeah. And it's, it's like free. It's like adult. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, in every possible aspect of the word, it's adult. It's, you know, talking about insecurities, talking about, um, fears, talking about goals, um, you know, just kind of 
every day showing up to your relationship and having those conversations towards the betterment of each other versus when I was married, it was like, oh, you mad? Okay, you got 10 minutes, get over it, keep it moving. And this was more like, you're mad, let's talk about it. And then, and I felt bad because when we were in this emotional relationship, he was so much more emotionally intelligent than I was because I just came from a bad practice relationship of 10 years. So there would be times that he had to like check me. And for me, I didn't understand it. It was so uncomfortable for me yeah. because I never say like, you do, you do not get the right to say that you cannot do that. And I'm like, what the hell? You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? I don't like, I can't process it. And, um, you know, looking back now, we would have been so much more successful, but it was just a place and a time that like, I needed those nudges to be the better woman, spouse, partner that I could be today. So um, it was definitely different, and it's been an, it's been an amazing journey. Well, thank you so much for describing that emotional love because one that is something that you know I would love. Love, love, love to experience that. And I I have, you know, there have been times when I've experienced it. And like you said, you can't go back. You know, nothing else will ever ever measure up. And I heard a feminist coach talking about something similar to this. When you said you wanted to just stay at home. She says that when you experience that type of love, you know, you're anxious to see the person. And you're hesitant to leave them. And I think that really kind of describes what you're saying you know you you enjoy that time together even when it's uncomfortable you still enjoy it correct and and honestly too um just coming from a place of forgiveness versus like being combative i'll be to i'll tell you i'm the first one oh no that's not what we gonna do (laughs) and i'll you know click my neck and i will be all up in your face but i'm also learning too that like love is really just forgiveness continuously and you know you hope that your partner or spouse doesn't put you in a predicament where you're constantly just forgiving because then that's a little too much but when things do and that are not comfortable you know if you kind of take a minute and I'm learning I'm in the process because I'm a very responsive person I'm a very reactive person but I'm working a lot better on just kind of like I don't need to know the answer at this moment Um, I'm gonna let it breathe a little bit and I'm going to kind of process myself. So just allowing that fluidity and that time and that patience um, comes from emotional intelligence. So, but once you have it, you cannot go back. Exactly. Now, was there something that you think in terms of your energy that you were putting out? Because again, this was a huge contrast from what you experienced with your husband was there something that you feel like you were putting out to the world that allowed you to then begin to attract emotional love? Or was it just something that you think just happened by accident? But I don't think anything's an accident. No, it's not an accident. I will say I had the luxury of the person that I dated after my divorce was somebody that I met. And we, I met him before I was engaged. And for me, I would... I didn't look at it at that time as something significant because I was so not emotionally intelligent. But when we met, I remember I instantly was like, 
there was a vibe, there was a chemistry, there was a, an energy between us that I never had with a man before. And I remember, look, like looking back now, I should have told myself, well, why don't I have this with my man, right? right. But I just, it as just kind of a, a thing that happened. You know what I mean? Like, and there was nothing inappropriate. When I met him, we met at a friend's party. We literally talked, we danced, but not like grinding and shit like that. Like literally <laughs> two-stepping, also dancing and just talking. And, you know, for me, I would never step out those boundaries, but even just the sheer talking and understanding that we had with each other was one of those things that like, I should have been questioning more of like, why am I not seeking this in love? But I was in a place where I was, I just wasn't there yet. It wasn't a part of my journey. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, and once I got a divorce, I kind of was like, YOLO, fuck it. So I jumped out there and I hit him up one day because I wanted to feel good about myself. You know, I started to right. feel good. I was losing weight. I was, I was going to therapy. I felt just like a better person. And I remember how he made me feel. So I found him on Twitter and literally just hit him up. Didn't think anything of it. And I was like, let's go out dancing. And it just kind of evolved into like, I thought I'd never hear from you again. Like, how are you? And it was kind of just, uh, it was one of those things that we just met at the perfect time because he wasn't dating anybody and I was clearly not dating anybody. And we went out on a date. We went to a jazz club because he loved to do things like that. And that's what I love to do. And slowly over time, I don't think him and I expected this, but we like fell in love for like a year and a half. Wow. And when I went up to New York, I remember he'd come up and visit me for like a week or two. And, um, even to this day, I always tell him because we are still very cool. I I'm telling you, I'm like, you're one of my soulmates. I believe you have multiple soulmates. One of them is my best friend and one of them is him. And he just taught me a different way to love. And because he did, I like, I am forever grateful for that love because I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could be in a relationship with somebody who just like got a divorce I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would be so insecure and just fearful and all those things. And he just literally would listen and like just did everything that I needed. Um, so we're still very close, but you know, there were certain moral values that like are ethical or things that I constitute as important to me in my life that he doesn't find as much valuable. So um, that's why him and I were kind of just in different places and we didn't end up working out. But um, he's still a part of my journey. He still comes in once in a while and we see each other and check in. And it's really, it's beautiful because I never thought I could be at a maturity level to still, I always had a rule. I was like, if you've been inside of me, you will never see me again after <laughs> we break up. And literally, like, he is the only one. He is the exception to the rule. Wow. So that, he really is your soulmate then. You know. He is, I I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had it, but when you see somebody and, you know, a, a lot of the times when you, you know, we all are seeking that spark, right? When we yes. go on dates, we want the instant gratification of like, boom, that's it. And I will tell you in my entire life, um, I've never had that with anybody but him. Wow. And I've been in relationships after that. Um, even the guy I'm dating now, we have chemistry, great everything. But this literally i met this man didn't know anything about him and it was like wow 
it was crazy. So um, that's, that's, yeah. Now you mentioned therapy and I always like to talk about that because so many times people feel like I don't want to share my story with anybody. I don't want people up in my business, but how did therapy impact you? And is it something that you would recommend for other people? Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, So I will tell you, I think the biggest issue with therapy is that it's not, um, it's not um, affordable. It's, it's fucking expensive. And also too, it's not, um, the ideal is difficult for people, right? Because I could go to any therapist right now and we might meet and talk and it doesn't work. It's like dating. Like sometimes you get a spark with somebody and you get a good vibe and other times you don't. So I did therapy because I was like, I gotta fucking do something. I cannot like, I, the problem is, is that I needed an unbiased opinion because during my divorce, there were times when I was thinking about maybe going back and maybe I can deal with this. Mm. I mean, and the problem is you do have girlfriends that are like, nope, fuck that, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I hear you, but you weren't, you have not been in this 10-year relationship, you know? So, um, you know, I understand, let me just say too, I understand why, even though I can't do it, but I understand why some women stay. I understand it and I get it. And, you know, there was a time before it happened to me that I was like, I would never. And those bitches ain't shit and they're (laughs) weak. But literally, it happened to me and I'm like, I get it. I understand. Now, why do you why do you get it, Nikki? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I I just I got to hear this. Why do you get it? I get it because relationships and people and situations are unavoidable. And sometimes the pros you have to look at the pros versus the cons, even though it might be the biggest con that you've ever had in your entire life. Sometimes people's pros and cons list outweigh each other for different reasons. And we don't know people's pros and cons. You know what I'm saying? People assume they know the pros and cons, but they don't. Right. And sometimes it comes from fear based, but sometimes it literally is the unconditional love you have for a person is never going to get in the way of anything. Now, for me, I had to leave because it was a liability. I'm 28 years old. I don't, I don't want to have children right now. I'm still on the brink of figuring out who the fuck I am. We don't have any kids together. We don't have a house together. We don't have these things. So this is a good clean break for me. But I don't know necessarily, but I could say the same thing if I had homes with a man, if we had children already, if I was fulfilled in every other aspect of my life. So but his pros and cons is very different. So I can't judge somebody for deciding that they want to stay with their man because he stepped out. He did something stupid. Um, you know, it's, it's just, you can't come from a place of judgment because everybody has their own justification for everything. And realistically, my, my mindset is I don't pay your bills. I don't do anything for you. I don't have sex with you. Right. So realistically, it's not their fucking business. So, Um, I just think, though, that once that situation happened for me, because I was so like, I would never, ever stay. And then I was like, fuck, okay, it's happening. And I'm thinking about staying. So that's why I went to therapy. I needed a super unbiased opinion. And I needed somebody to just hear me out instead of coming from a place of judgment of like, why would you stay? You're stupid to kind of like, well, let's talk through the, are you think you should stay? Why do you think that this is something that is worth it to you? And 
what I don't think people really understand is therapy is just talking like it's talking so much that you hear yourself kind of say the things over time and then they have to click because most of my therapy was she would sit there and I would just go and talk and talk and then she'd ask one question have you thought of this and I'd be like I did not wow literally because therapy is you talk you ever have you ever had it where you talk to a girlfriend and then you get off the phone and like exhausted yes yes <laughs> that's what therapy is just talk to an unbiased person until you're exhausted and you don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. <laughs> but i started to notice therapy was working when i did it and i did it and i did it and i did it and i would go once a week and then it would be once every two weeks. And then I remember we would go, I went monthly. And then at one point we were sitting there and I looked at her and I was like, I think we're done here. And she was like, I think we are too. And we had nothing to talk about. Right. Right. So it's a slow burn, but just kind of having the maintenance of kind of talking to yourself this night. And I think that's the benefit of therapy. I think it's amazing. And the problem is, is that it is unaffordable. Like it is hard for some people to get to it, but there are really good opportunities for people for like, um, they'll have like health workers that work that do it for like 25 bucks, 50 bucks. Um, and just kind of give yourself the opportunity. They have some free mental health things. Like you just have to be a little bit more creative in seeking the type of mental health support you need, but they are becoming, there are more avenues for people to seek therapy in some way well i'm so glad to hear you say that because i'm always saying that on on the podcast y'all so it's not just me therapy really is beneficial to you but what is your opinion though so in your situation would it have been as beneficial to you if you had a male therapist or does it matter woman or man does it even matter to you um, it doesn't matter to me. Honestly, my therapist, I always joke about it. I, I, she was like a 75 to 80 year old woman. Um, and most of the time she would like doze off when I was talking. Are you serious? But sometimes she would doze off and I was like, are you sleeping? And she'd be like, no. And I'm like, this bitch is sleeping. <laughs> and, I'm, old. and I'm paying her. <laughs> and I'm paying her. But you know what? She became like a, a grandmother. No, honestly, the reason why I picked her was... I got on the phone with her because I called a couple places and they were real like generic like well it's going to be $200 and I'm like well I can't fucking afford that so I'm not going to do that <laughs> but her I remember I called her and I said um, she was like well why are you looking for a therapist and I was like well my husband had a baby on me I'm going through a divorce and she paused and she literally said oh shit wow and I was like yeah I'm dealing with a lot and as soon as she said, oh, shit, I was like, this is my kind of person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you need to be able to understand that, you know, I do curse, but I have a lot of meaning and I have a lot of feelings and I want to talk about them. So I think that her saying, oh, shit, was kind of like the you should give this woman a try mm-hmm. instead of it being like, well, let's kind of, you know, like I needed to have somebody kind of bring it down to my level to where I was like, OK, she gets me. So now let's talk about dating, though. So you're dating, but so how do you meet people, especially in New York? Are you doing online dating or folks jumping in your DMs and all that stuff? 
Okay, so first of all, this is a disclaimer which pisses me off. My mother has more men slide into her DMs than myself. I do not get a lot of DMs. See, yeah, I would be mad about that too. What's up with that? You know what I'm saying? And and her page is only about nature. (laughs) We're we're doing something wrong, Nikki. (laughs) You know, but you know what's so funny is I, so I moved to the DMV area, so like the DC area, um, after COVID. So I moved back in August. I was dating in New York, but that was terrible. Um, and I was doing online dating. I was doing like Tinder and all those things because realistically, even though they have zero promise, they're not the most um, <laughs> successful avenues. Um, especially like a place in New York City, everything is very clickish. It's a very lonely city. It's oh. hard to make friends. It's hard to kind of like expand out of your um, the group of people you have, everybody's kind of in their own little world. I didn't so, realize that about a oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Yes. So unless you are that drunken guy at the bar that goes up to people <laughs> like, Hey, what's up? I'm not going to be walking up to a group of people like, hi, I need friends. So <laughs> I just jumped out there and I started doing like online dating in New York, which funny stories, but definitely not worth it. <laughs> um, and then when I moved back, I was doing Hinge for a little bit, um, and I the guy that I'm currently dating, we met on Hinge, which okay. I think has a little bit more promise, but honestly, online dating within itself is the most exhausting fucking thing. I'm tired of talking to people about my favorite color, things I like to do. Like, So I always made a joke because I was talking to three guys, and I was like, these are the final three. After that, y'all can off. <laughs> Like God or the universe or Mother Nature, she can send me something because I'm getting off this shit. So, um, one of them survived. He's still around. But the other two had to go. So it's one of those things where I'm like, it's fun to do to pass the time and to kind of give you a little bit of inspiration to be like, oh my gosh, like I might find my soulmate on here. But it's just a lot of work. And I'm just, I can't do that and run girl tell me. It's, it's, too, it's too much fucking work. So, we're seeing how this one goes. I really, um, I like him. He's really sweet. And we have really, we're very compatible. We have really good chemistry. Oh, that's the great. The one thing that honestly really attracted me is because you never get that shit now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With In this time that we're in with the pandemic, so many relationships have just crashed and burned. And so, when you meet someone that you got something going on with you're like woo like feel like you hit the lottery <laughs> exactly so we'll see how it goes i'm uh, i'm being positive about it um we'll see what happens but i just slowly learned that nothing is guaranteed and you can only just hope for the best right so you mentioned that you know you it takes a lot of time you're busy you have a day job you're running girl tell me how are you balancing all of these things and then you're teaching courses and and writing a book how do you do it? Um, I don't really know. I, to be honest with you, I'm starting to listen to myself more and I'm starting to kind of like figure out a way to schedule what is the most important to me and kind of making small time for the other things. So, um, girl, tell me, I love it. It's something that I want to do, but promoting girl, tell me fucking sucks. It's so much work. You get so many more no's than yeses, and it's a consistent thing that you have to do every day. Um, I met a girl on Girl Boss, 
and we were talking on the phone and she has her own PR company and she said, you know, people never talk about how lonely being a business owner is. Mm. And it just like sparked so much with me because, you know, starting a business from the floor up from up, people don't realize that like every single day I have to get up. And even if I'm having a shit day, I still have to be like, check out this writer. She's dead. Yes. You know, like I have to be on and I have to be ready and I have to be doing all these things. So, um, but I'm also too listening to myself more and prioritizing things that I want to focus on. So like I have a list of course and I'll say, okay, well I need to finish the first draft of my book by the end of the year. So I'm starting to write a couple pages here and there. Um, and then I'll have like different goals for girl tell me and I'm slowly doing those things, but I'm also too being more forgiving of like, you cannot conquer the world in a day. So if you don't want to do any social media today, if you don't want to talk to people, that's okay. You can do it again tomorrow. If you don't want to do it tomorrow, do it next week. But you have to allow yourself that time because I never, I mean, I've never experienced burnout for real, for real. And when girls tell me it's been burnout, you wow. fall in love and then you hate it and then you fall in love. <laughs> and you hate it. So it's just been a very love hate relationship, but the more expanding that I do with it, the more that I'm starting to see that I can really create the product that I want to see. So, um, you know, eventually that'll mean doing more classes and teaching. And I'm actually going to go back to school to be a teacher. I want to oh, do more creative writing courses. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I thank love you. it. I mean, it's very early, but um, we're, I'm starting to do the research to try to apply for the fall. But, you know, Girl Tell Me has kind of pushed me in a direction of saying like, okay, I do want to teach. I want to give opportunities to people who don't have it because I hated writing as a child. I hated writing as a teenager. I hated it in college. Really? And I hated it. And the ironic thing is now I do it and that's what I do as a job. I so, am so shocked. I am so shocked. I would have never imagined that. I've only been writing for about four years. Really? But a lot of the opportunity I've had with like the Daily Beast. So I've had a piece, I have a piece in the Daily Beast. I've written for Forbes, like those are kind of my big guys. But, but a lot of the opportunity I've had was my shot in creating those opportunities. So I know more than anything that I am very good at talking to people and reaching people. So that's why I want to expand the platform to kind of giving people that confidence, but also letting them know, like, listen, I'm not a fucking Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> but I'm getting forced paychecks. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So, well, so in terms of social media, because I know that's where I found you, what is your feeling? Yeah. So, you talked about maybe today I'll post on social media, maybe I won't. But some people say that it's important for you to do it every day. But what has been your experience with social media? How, how useful is it? How impactful is it? What ways? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? I like that I have accessibility to anybody and everybody at all times, but I also hate the fact that I have accessibility to everybody <laughs> and anybody. <laughs> Social media is vital, but it also too is extremely draining 
from creating the content to liking other people's content, you know, you're taking all that in. Yes. You're soaking everything you see in. And you may not realize it, but you might see something and it'll trigger you in some way or affect you in some way or create a form of emotion from something. Yes. Um, my Instagram feed is very like female empowerment and all this and that. But there's also a term that I'm learning. It's called um, like toxic positivity, where there's a lot of more aggressive women that are like, you need to do this now. Mm. And then it creates a little bit of anxiety to a point where you're like, if I don't do something, if I take an off day, then I'm nothing. Mm. And sometimes I think that happens for me um, just from an individual perspective, because I'm like such a go, go, go person. But with all that being said, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's just the overly consumption of social media is very draining. It's just exhausting. And, you know, I understand why companies spend such big money on having people do their social media because there is something so nice about putting your phone down and not worrying about it all day. I mean, I tell you, I have, you know, Girl Tell Me has a platform on social media, but I don't have notifications on. So, because if I did, I would just be on my phone all day. So, little things like that, where I'm just constantly trying to um, find the sweet spot. I haven't been able to find it yet. But I need to like kind of figure it out and I'm still learning just because it is so draining and it's so much work to constantly have to engage an audience. And then, you know, I always tell people like the numbers don't lie, but I notice the numbers, the, you know what I mean? Like the numbers are one of those things, not don't lie. I always say, don't worry about the number. Don't worry about how many followers you have. Don't worry about how many likes you have. Because I say from a broad scale, look at somebody like Kim Kardashian, right? right. Kim Kardashian has like a hundred something million followers. Okay. Right. And she'll post a picture and she'll only get 2 million likes. Right. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you look at it from a percentage perspective, the percentage of people actually took a minute to like her photo based off the people who follow her is crumbs. Yes. It never, it never measures up. It never equals out. It never does. No, because people assume that, oh, I have 10,000 followers, then I should have 10,000 likes. And that's just not how it works. And I always try to tell people to go back to your own habits. I don't like every picture I see. Yes. And I'll be looking, but I don't look at every picture I see. True. But, um, you know, we all see the numbers and it does create a form of anxiety in some way. You know, you'd be like, oh, three people like that. And then you're in your mind, you're like, but I worked on this for so long and I posted at this time and I thought that many people would like this. And so all of that anxiety, all of those things just create such a environment that can be very debilitating over time. I used to post two times a day. Oh, really? Wow. I used to post two times a day and I used to engage throughout the entire day. And then from there, I started to slow my pace down because I do realize that people ain't going nowhere. People doing the same thing you're doing and it will be okay. So then I started posting once a day. And now, like on the weekends, I'll give myself one day off. And I'm like, I'm not going to go on social media at all. And, you know, you just have to make it make sense for you. But just being only online all day, you just feel like you don't consume anything. And you're just like... You're just like bluff. 
I agree. You know? I totally agree so, with you. I always make the joke. I'm like, I don't know how the hell I started a media company, but I hate <laughs> social media. I hate all forms of it. So we're just manifesting that we get to a point where girl tell me can afford to have somebody do all that shit for them. And, she, and I can just show up, talk a little bit, drop the mic and leave. Well, I, guess what? I believe, I know that's going to happen because I, I love the path that you're on. And like I said, I see this as a movement. So my last question for you is what are some things that, because you actually are a role model. I don't know if you realize this. You're a major influencer, role model for women and in, in helping us to be empowered. But what advice do you have for us in order to, to live fully empowered, courageous, girl tell me type of lives where we get up in your face if we have to, we are emotionally intelligent if we need to? Well, first of all, thank you so much for saying that. I, I always am so shocked when I hear things like that because I just don't see myself like that. Um, but it's really nice to hear and I do appreciate that. Um, going forward, what I would tell women is be forgiving of yourself more than anybody, which I know is a process because I am, I'm struggle bust with that. I am struggling, but every day you have to just kind of give yourself that graciousness that you give other people. And then I would also tell people like, there is nothing worse than not shooting your shot. Always shoot your shot. It could be with any aspect. If you don't think you can run a mile, fucking try it. If you don't think you should talk to that person, DM them. If you don't think, and I think that living your fullest life is just doing it. And I know that sounds so cliche to say, but once you get out there butt naked and you literally shoot your shot and you come from a place of like, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. And you have no risk that is too big that you can't take. Why the hell aren't you doing it? You know, I talk to so many women that'll be like, well, I really want to do this, but, and I'm like, then do it. Because at a certain point you have to understand, because a lot of people say to me all the time, well, how did you get to this place? And I'm like, I'm just figuring it out as I go. I mean, it's not like I had this whole plan. I had a moment one time that really hit me where I was talking to my ex-husband, we were together and I always said, I want to lose five pounds. I want to lose five pounds. And one time he was like, then lose it already. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and it kind of hit me because that is such an easy concept, but he kind of reiterated and showed me that like, yes, it, it makes us feel so much better to talk about it and dream about it. But once you have it, the payoff is immense. Absolutely. Right? Like, think about whatever you want in your mind and it being better than that. Absolutely. So why not take a, take a chance on yourself and give yourself the opportunity to jump out there and do it because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. I... I... Thank you so much, Nikki, for for joining us. And you have been so inspirational. And ladies, if you're listening, and gentlemen too, this is why I love listening to Nikki all the time on Girl Tell Me. And if you're on Instagram, if you're not following her already, please go do it because you'll see even more of what she's saying. She is so transparent and so authentic and so real. 
And she's helping us to, to get off our you-know-whats and make things happen, y'all, because really, we don't have anything to lose other than those nightmares and those things that haunt us because we're not doing what we know we should do or what we're capable yeah. of doing. But yeah. as I said, I know Girl Tell Me is, is moving in the right direction, and I know it's going to get even bigger, better, and greater because of your leadership. So thank you so much for joining us on Gumbo Nights, and you are welcome to come back and join us anytime. Thank you so much for having me. You are such a beautiful soul, and I'm so thankful that I met you as well. And you are just as much a role model and an inspiration. So I hope you acknowledge that as well. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, that is the end of our episode, and hope that you will all please continue to listen, like, comment, share, and subscribe. And make sure that you join me right back here for our next episode.